sometimes it hurts. We didn't know it would be like that. We weren't expecting it to be like that. In some ways, we feel like it definitely shouldn't be this way. But we find ourselves in the midst of pain, crying out, and when we scream out, it just seems to go out into the void and get lost. Help! But no echo, no response, just a small voice in the darkness and it's gone. And these don't seem like very Christian feelings, right? Christian feelings are supposed to be filled with joy because of God's presence with us and because of the hope that we have in Him. And yet, Christians feel these feelings all the time. And so what do we do when we're in that place? And we find that Psalm 61, as David was writing this psalm, he, he finds himself in a very similar place. Let me read this psalm for you. To the choir master with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. He begins this, hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. Hello, God! Are you listening? He says, from the ends of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint. From the, from the ends of the earth. It was going, I, I feel so far away from you right now. I'm in this pain and, and I want to be close to you. I want to be near to you. And I'm crying out and you just feel so far away. Have you ever used that language when talking about a friend? You just seem really distant. It's not that physically they're not close to you. They're right there. It just seems like they're totally disengaged. Like they're distant. Like they don't see or understand or care about what's going on with you right now. And even though you're talking to them, they're just like spaced out in a new, different world. And you're going, hello? Do you hear me talking? I would like to be engaged with you right now. I'd like to be talking with you, conversing with you. I'd like to know that you are here with me as I'm dealing with with this, but you just seem distant. 
And David is giving this kind of cry to God. He's calling out and he's going, Hello, God, I need your help right now. And it feels like it's the ends of the earth away from you. How come it is, God, that if I were to try and run away, I could never flee from your presence? But when I need you and I'm crying out, where'd you go? Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Can, can I just say, it's okay to have these feelings? It's okay to have these feelings. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie that somehow these feelings are not okay or that you shouldn't have these. This is reality. These feelings come. And it's okay. There is not something wrong with you because you feel like you're distant from God. You are not somehow not a Christian because you're not feeling close and fuzzy with God right now. Your faith is not in jeopardy because you're crying out to God and asking Him to listen to a prayer that you're not sure, you don't feel deep down in your gut that He's hearing right now. These feelings are okay. And it's okay to express them. David does. He puts it into song and he puts it into song so that not only can he sing it, but so that the congregation of God's people can sing it. To express to God their heart's feelings. God, this is how I'm feeling right now. And you can express that to God. Whether you're feeling sad, whether you're feeling depressed, whether you're feeling lonely or hopeless, frustrated, angry, go ahead and express those to God. God, I feel like I'm a long ways away from you right now. God, I feel like you're a long ways away from me right now. God, I'm so frustrated. God, I feel so hopeless. I feel so guilty. I feel so ashamed. Whatever those strong feelings are that are inside you, you don't have to hide them from God. Maybe your experience with other people has sometimes been that if you express them or let them out or let somebody see just how big those emotions are, that that's not a safe thing to do. But with God, it's a safe thing to do. You're not going to intimidate Him. You're not going to scare Him. You're not going to surprise Him. You don't have to put on a face and fake it with God. You don't have to stuff it and pretend they aren't there. You can bring the raw stuff and just put it out before Him and go, God, blah! Isn't it good to have people that you can do that with? 
I hope you have a trusted friend or a spouse or somebody that you can just dump it out and they can take it for what it is and they can hear it and they can sift through it and it's safe to just blurt it all out and dump it all on the table and they can go, okay. I hope you have somebody like that, but I want you to know that whether or not you have someone like that, God is like that. It is safe to dump all of your emotions on Him and just say, God, this is how I'm feeling right now. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign that something's wrong with you. It's the real pain and reality of life that sometimes surfaces, sometimes for a moment, sometimes for a season, and we can bring that to God. And it's safe to do so. David begins and he says, Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint, when I'm out of energy, when I feel like I've got nothing left, I'm just crying out to you and I need you to be there for me. He says, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. I don't know if you noticed the progression here. But if you begin to just look at this line by line, the progression is quite intense. Because in verse 2 it says, From the end of the earth I call to you. And so just positionally, David finds himself at the end of the earth and there's God way over there somewhere. Way over there somewhere. Now, in Israel, where David was, the presence of the Lord would have been in Jerusalem, in the tabernacle. In the Holy of Holies, that's where the presence of God would have been represented. It's not that God wasn't other places, but His presence is represented in the heart of Jerusalem. And here, David finds himself at the edge of the land, way at the end of the earth as, as far as its concern is to Jerusalem. And then physically, he just he puts this picture in. I don't know that he was actually a long ways away from Jerusalem when this was taking place. He might have been. But he puts this, this physical picture in the psalm for us so that he goes from the end of the earth, I'm calling to you. Now lead me, God. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Lead me to uh, Mount Zion, the, the rock on which the temple would eventually be built, where the tabernacle at this time currently was, where the presence of God was. That big rock. Lead me to that place. You that, that rock that, that symbolizes you and your covenant with your people. Lead me to that place, the place of your presence. Lead me there to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower 
against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent. Now he's talking right about the tabernacle itself. Let me dwell in your tent forever, right in the very presence of yours. And then let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Do you see that intimacy there? How, how David goes from being so far away to bringing himself, asking God, would you lead me? I can't get there on my own. I need you to lead me there, drag me there, bring me there into your presence. Bring me to Jerusalem, to that rock. Bring me right into the tent. Bring me right into your very presence where you can put your arm around me and protect me. Now, when you're feeling alone and you're in pain, isn't that what you so desperately want? That there would be somebody who would just hold you and you can just cry on them. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to deal with this. And just have somebody there to put their arm around you and hold you. And David's going, God, I feel so far away from you right now. Will you lead me right into your presence that I might come right into the tabernacle, right into your house, into your tent, and let you just put your arms around me like a wing and just hold me? Oh, how I need that, God. It's like, it's like David remembers this from before. I, I remember, God. I remember. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge. You have been my... We've been here before, God. I've had times of trouble before, and you were my refuge. You were my safety. You were my protection in those times. But I'm not feeling that right now. I need that again. This thing that was in the past that I remember that I've experienced before, I want that again. Can you bring me back into your presence? Lead me here and, and pull me in close so that I'll be safe again. I remember it happening before. And I'm not feeling it right now. God, lead me in. Lead me in. He cries out and he, he just, he puts it out to God. God, I need it and I remember it. I want it to be there. And then he begins to focus. To focus on, on who God is. And to focus on what God has done. As, as he's even expressing, God, I remember being in your presence in this place of safety with your arms around me. I remember that. And now he, he's beginning to, to turn in the psalm, right? So we have this Selah, this pause, halfway through. We have the first four verses and then we have this, this pause and then we have the second four verses, and in the second four verses, he begins to, to look at God, and we've talked about this before even in the last few weeks, that when stuff is going on around you and you're feeling overwhelmed by the circumstances, the place to go is to put your eyes on God and go, okay, God, what do I know to be true? What do I know to be true? What do I know to be true about you? What do I know to be true about your promises? What do I know about, to be true about life? Because I'm beginning to panic and I'm beginning to swirl. If you're anything like me, the swirl gets real bad. My, my wife can, could tell you about that. Where I start, something isn't quite going right, 
and I get overwhelmed. And so then suddenly, surprisingly, nothing is going right. Nothing. There is nothing in the whole house, the church, the world, probably, that is going right at that moment. And she's going, are you okay? What, what, you weren't worried about any of those things yesterday. I know. But look at how bad they have all gotten in 24 hours. Nothing is working. She said, you were so excited about how successful things were just last week. I know. But not anymore. Because when something, like my focus is on something that's going wrong, then it begins to spin me, and I go, oh, and this part of this thing isn't working either. I didn't notice that thing last week when I was so excited, but now I'm getting spun, and I realize, well, that's not, and that's not working, and that's not working, and that's not working, and pretty soon, I just find myself spinning, and everything turns into a blur, and nothing looks right anymore. This doesn't happen to any of you, I can tell. (laughs) But when we get into that place, it's important to stop the spin and get our eyes focused on something. In fact, I, I I don't know if this is true, but I have heard that people who do the spinning thing, like ballerinas or something, they will focus on one thing, and then they'll whip their head around so that they don't get dizzy. That's true? Somebody's nodding. That's, that must be true. <laughs> they'll focus on one thing. Even though they're spinning, they're focusing on one thing all the way around so that they don't get dizzy. That one thing that I want you to focus on right now is who God is and what His promises are. So that when you're feeling like you're in pain and you feel like you're beginning to spin and your eyes are just going from one thing to the next to the next to the next and you're just getting frustrated and disappointed and everything becomes a blur, find something to focus on and here's what David focuses on. Psalm 61 verse 5. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. God, I know this about you. That you have heard me and that you have made me to be one of your people. David uh, categorizes himself as one of those people who have received the inheritance of God. He is one of God's people. And if you remember that God, when He was making promises, covenants with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob and with Moses and and the nation of Israel, the promises that He was giving them was that they would have His presence in His place, right? They would be His people. So now He's saying, I'm remembering that promise. And I'm asking, would you bring me back into your place? But I remember you have heard me. It's interesting to me that he says, you have heard my vows. Because when I think about praying to God, vows are something that it seems like you shouldn't probably do that. Right? God, if you such and such, I will such and such. I'm going to make a promise with God. That if he does this thing, then I will do this thing. 
But I, I think what David's actually doing here in his vows is he's saying, God, when you do this thing, I will give you praise. This is my vow. And when I started seeing that in this psalm, and we're going to see this fulfillment of the vows and the praise a little, little bit later on, when I started seeing that in this psalm, I went, oh, I do that a lot, actually. I do that a lot. That when you fill out those connection cards and you ask for prayer requests, and we pray for you each week, one of the things I pray for you is, God, would you have your glory come through this? Would you respond to this prayer request so that we may praise you? Now, it's, it's not a bargaining with God. It, I'm not saying, God, if you don't do this, I'm not going to praise you. But I'm saying, God, when you do this, we will praise you. God, you're delaying the praising by not responding to this request. We would like to have your glory magnified more and more. So I would like to praise you and they would like to praise you. We would like you to follow through on this and bring them through this situation so that we can have more praise for you. God, would you work it out in such a way that your glory would be known not just to them and to me who are praying for this, but for all of the people around who are observing that they might see so that we can rejoice together. God, you've heard my vows. This is what David's saying in verse 5. Oh God, you have heard my vows. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. And then he's, he... David starts to speak about a specific, particular promise. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Now, admittedly, as you are reading this for the first time or second time or maybe even the fifth time, it seems like a weird aside to suddenly bless the king. Right? You're reading through, God, um, uh, would you hear my cry? I'm from the ends of the earth. Would you lead me to your presence? Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under your wing. You've heard my vows, O God. You've given me a heritage of those who fear your name. Oh, and also, would you bless the king? And I just read this through and went, that seems kind of weird. In fact, when you're reading some of the commentaries, the commentaries are going, it's kind of a weird insertion here to just put in a bless the king suddenly. And so you start thinking about this and going, okay, what is he referring to here? What is David referring to? Well, David is the king, right? So, which bless me, God. Which, okay, that, that seems good and it seems right. But then I started thinking about this in First Chronicles chapter 17. It's also in Second Samuel 7, but I'm, I'm going to look at the, the one in First Chronicles 17. Starting in verse 10, it says, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. This is what uh, the, the prophet is, is telling to um, David, when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. 
He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be a father to him, and he, will sh- and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it away from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. And David is remembering this promise. God, you made a promise to me. You made a promise to me. And as, so, you know how last week and on some other times, it's been very specific about the context of the psalm that David was writing it in? And he was, he was saying, I was in this cave and Saul was chasing me, or these guys were waiting outside my door so that they could kill me, and then I wrote this psalm. But this one doesn't have that, we just know that it's of David. And I was thinking about the various circumstances in which David may have written this psalm. And I realized that um, he could have written it at any of those other times that Saul was chasing him, right? He had been anointed and has this promise that he's going to be king, but is not currently king. But then I was thinking that after that, after Saul had chased him around all over the place and had finally died and David had been made king, Then David had this son, Absalom, who rose up and decided he wanted to be king. And so he went and he got the people to listen to him and he got the people to um, favor him over David. And suddenly he had himself appointed king and they came to David and they said, hey, Absalom's just uh, won the hearts of the people and has um, appointed himself to be king. And David went, oh, let's get out of here. And they ran from Jerusalem. Him and a whole bunch of his followers ran from Jerusalem so that Absalom was serving as king even though David was the anointed one as king. And as I was thinking about that, this psalm fits perfectly with that. I'm not saying that's necessarily the context. I'm just saying it fits really well and I couldn't not tell you about it. Because... Because in that circumstance, David knows the promises of God, but Absalom is usurping that. He's stepping in and taking over, and David's going, I feel like I'm from the ends of the earth. I'm no longer in Jerusalem. I'm no longer king. I did my whole time waiting under Saul. I was very patient. I put up with all of the stuff. Then I was king and things were going well. And now Absalom's rising up and I've been thrown out and I feel like I'm forever far away. God, do you remember your promise? Do you remember your promise to prolong the life of the king? May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. God, you made this promise to me and that it would be passed on to my son. And I don't think it's Absalom. I don't think that's how this is supposed to go, God. I'm not seeing your promises being fulfilled here. So would you remember your promises? Would you hear my prayer? And would you respond? Because this isn't how it's supposed to go. Bring me back. Prolong the life of the king that his years may endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. And then he says, appoint steadfast love and faithfulness 
to watch over him. Steadfast love and faithfulness, watch for those words. They come up over and over and over and over again in the scriptures. One of the first times you see them put together like this is in Exodus 34 when God is going before Moses and he is proclaiming who he is before Moses. He's revealing himself, right? Moses had said, Lord, I want to see your face. I want to see who you are. And the Lord says, no, but what I will do is I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by and I will declare for you who I am. You want to see me, but I want you to know me. And one of the key things that he says in there is about his steadfast love and faithfulness. His steadfast love and faithfulness. And so every time you see that in the Scriptures, it's, we're referring to the character of God. These are, are uh, essential characteristics of who God is. His steadfast love and His faithfulness. And so David is saying, I remember your promises to me, and I remember your character is steadfast love and faithfulness, and so I am expecting that you're going to follow through on those promises. And so bring me back into Jerusalem. Bring me back into into your presence, bring me back into full fellowship with you and resolve this. Resolve this. And you probably don't have a specific promise from the Lord that you will be an eternal king in Jerusalem. That's my guess. But we have all kinds of promises in the Scripture that we can turn to. Promises about God's faithfulness to us. God, promises about His presence with us. That He will never leave us or forsake us. That He will be patient with us. That He will be faithful to forgive us of our trespasses, of our sins, when we repent of them and when we confess them to Him. And so David puts all of this and then he says in verse 8, so will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. My vows, the, those vows that I made, the, the ones that I promised I would praise you when, I did, when you followed through, I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to do it forever. Always. If you bring me back into Jerusalem, God, I am going to praise you and praise you and praise you in front of all the people. I'm going to write a song and we can all praise you for uh, following through on this. We'll all praise you together. We're going to glorify your name and lift it up high. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day after day. And as I was reading through that, I recognized just how important it is that when we cry out to the Lord and we say, God, would you answer this so that we might praise you? How important it is that we follow through on that afterwards. Right? It's very easy to remember when we're in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the loneliness that we would cry out to God. It's easy to remember to cry out, God, help! Help! When you need something, you're very aware of the need. It's top of mind. It's forefront. But when somebody comes along and meets the need, you're like, oh, whew, 
good. Did you remember to say thank you? Did you send them a card of thanks and appreciation? Did you express to them, hey, I really appreciate that you did that. Did you tell other people, you know what? I was in such this, uh, a place of despair and they came through and they helped me. It's so important that when we have uh, made these vows before the Lord, Lord, if you follow through on this, we will praise you. When you come through, God, may it result in your praise. Then we should be watching for those things. Whether you're making notes in your prayer journal or a, a diary of some kind, you have a prayer list, somehow you're keeping track of these are the things that I'm praying for. Or just in retrospect, you're going through and saying, what are some of the things that God has done? What are some of the things that God has done for me? And you start looking at His faithfulness and where you are now and what He has done to get you to hear so that you might praise Him. So will I ever sing praises to Your name as I perform my vows day after day. If you need a place to begin, First Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3-9 through nine is a really great spot. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't that a great couple of verses? He begins in, in, in here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We, we have a, a different kind of hope. When we're looking at our circumstances and we're beginning to swirl because of, of uh, the depression and because of the, the things that weigh on us and because of the pain that we're dealing with, we look and we go, but Jesus has provided an eternal hope. He was raised from the dead. He's caused us to be born again so that we too might be raised from the dead, living with an imperishable hope to an inheritance. Remember how David in, in uh, Psalm 61 was talking about how he is counted among the, the heritage of God's people? Here's the inheritance, the heritage that you have. It's one that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, and it's kept, held, guarded, protected, secured in heaven for you, for you who by God's power are being also guarded, kept, held through faith 
for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There are times when we're not feeling that salvation right now. It hasn't been revealed yet. It hasn't come to full expression yet. But it's there and it's waiting for us. God is holding us in the midst of it. He's holding us until that time comes. And we're just hanging on and we're looking to that and we're watching for it and waiting for it and saying, God, I'm waiting on this. I'm waiting on this. Would you bring this to fruition so that we might praise you? God, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done? We're waiting. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You've been grieved by various trials. Even in the midst of this great blessing and all of this hope and praise that Peter is describing about the hope that we have in Jesus that's imperishable and undefiled and, and uh, kept in heaven for us, unfading. Even in the midst of that, he says, right now you may be going through various trials and you may be grieved by them. You may be grieved by them. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And even though you don't see him now, even though he may feel distant now, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. This morning, we are remembering that. It's the first Sunday of the month, and so we are going to celebrate communion together. And as we celebrate it, we are remembering that Jesus has risen from the dead, and so we are raised to a new, eternal, imperishable hope. And that we are looking forward, that we might rejoice, so that when the time comes and He returns, we will obtain the outcome of our faith. And we are remembering the hope of that this morning together. So I would encourage you, I'm going to pray in just a moment and the worship team is going to come up and, and sing another song. If that is your eternal hope, if you have an eternal hope in Jesus, I would encourage you to come take the, the bread and the cup back to your seat. We have a table here and we have one in the back. And then uh, after the next song, I'll come back up and we will take it all together to, some, to celebrate uh, this common salvation, this common hope that we have. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are continually reminded of your love and of your grace. And we ask, Lord, this morning that uh, as we sing, as we open your word, as we take communion together, as we talk with one another, as we cry with one another and encourage one another and bear one another's burdens, Father, that together we would remember and be focused on this hope that we have in you. Lord, I am sure that there are those this morning who have come into this place feeling distant from You. There are those here this morning that are feeling hopeless and alone and in pain. And Father, I pray, would Your Spirit minister to them this morning? Would Your presence be real and tangible and felt to them here in this place this morning? 
that they might have the hope that is a hope that is eternal. That it would not fade. And Father, we ask for all of these things that you might receive all of the praise and glory that you are due. In Jesus' name, amen.